Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Let's go for it. Hit the big red button. I did. Hey, Sarah, how you doing? Hello, Rebecca. We are in that time of the year where the sirens going off means a little bit more. Rather than just the one o'clock checks on the Wednesday. Exactly. <laughs> Do you have any fun memories when you were a kid of the sirens going off and the... Well, maybe fun memories <laughs> isn't the right way to describe them. It is severe weather, it, things that we should take seriously, but, you know, going down to the basement, uh, turning on the television or the radio... Every once in a while, huddling underneath the, the steps with, you know, you bring a pillow, you bring a blanket. It was always a big adventure for me because oftentimes you had to get out of bed. So you got this delayed bedtime thing and I got to bring my teddy bear and listen to the radio. Yeah, your mom's an immigrant. Uh, did she understand what the sirens were? <laughs> Not initially. So the first time that she experienced a tornado, the air started turning green and she had no idea what was going on and didn't understand a thunderstorm even. England doesn't have a whole lot of thunderstorms. So you've got the, the severe weather on top of the thunderstorm and then the siren started to go. And of course she grew up in post-World War II England where they were bomb sirens and the family was going to bomb shelters. So it was actually quite traumatic for her, but she was really confused because none of the other neighbors decided to come in from outside in their yards. She's like, but all these sirens are going off, and what am I supposed to do? And you all are ignoring them. And it was apparently a very panicky moment. Well, we have history in our county of severe weather, and today is the anniversary of a particularly severe tornado. Tornadoes that hit Anoka County in 1965. And uh, we are very lucky to sit down with Al Taylor, and he shared some of his experiences with it and his research in describing what happened May 6th, 1965. Welcome, Al Taylor. Thank you so much for popping in today. I really appreciate it. I am so happy to be here. Very few people know where they were 57 years ago on a specific day, but you know exactly where you were May 6th, 1965. It was a Thursday night. It was a very warm day. Um, there are so many people in the state that remember that night. And I've traveled all over the state, and I always run into people that knew somebody or they were there that night when the tornadoes came through. How old were you? I was six years old. Yeah. And where were you living at the time? Uh, we lived uh, south of Mora, and that's in central Minnesota. And my dad worked down the cities, and we had a small farm. And uh, so dad got home. And after supper, we went to Dairy Queen. And that was such a rare occasion. And we were driving south, and it looked like there was a shade being pulled over the sun. 
pitch black. It was rolling. And my dad said, what the hell is that? And I was sitting in the back seat. My sister was sitting in the front. And I remember looking at it like this. We got home and we turned on the TV and all hell is breaking loose in the cities. And dad said, oh, I hope that doesn't come up here. And about an hour later it did. So we went in the basement, the lights went out, power went out, and I could hear the roar of the tornado. It's a rumble. It's not, people go, a train? No, it's a rumble, you know, a rumble like a train. So if you hear the trains going through at night, mm -hmm. but magnify it 20 times. And my sister was screaming, okay, and she was sitting next to me. And when the tornado was going by, I couldn't hear her anymore. And then when the tornado is going away, you know how it fades out? I could hear her screaming. She never stopped. And she was sitting right next to me. This is the Good Neighbor to the Northwest, reporting on an extensive tornado damage story in the Twin City area tonight from studios in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Did you, did you cite a tornado? Yes. Hang, hang on just a second. Uh, hang on just a second, will you, sir? We now have a confirmed tornado touchdown at Spring Lake Park. Spring Lake Park in the Minnetonka area, considerable damage. This was about 45 minutes ago. Injuries unknown. The Highway Patrol advises that police and ambulances are now in the area. Unauthorized vehicles, please stay away. There were three tornadoes to hit Fridley that night, uh, approximately 7.09, 7.40, and uh, about 8.40. People at the time didn't have the same relationship that we do today of watching the news for weather updates and the radar. Can you walk us through how people experienced that day? Well, they knew something was unusual when uh, Dick Chapman and Charlie Boone came on the WCCO with the, the special weather alerts. And people were calling in and reporting tornadoes being spotted in the southwest uh, side of the cities, down around uh, uh, Lake Manitonka and uh, Deep Haven. And there were three waves of tornadoes that came through that night. And uh, Dick Chapman and uh, Charlie Boone and Rob Brown were on the air for over six and a half hours with nonstop coverage. That's a marathon. And back then, people really didn't watch as much TV as they do today. And so they relied on the radio much more. And also, it should be noted that the civil defense sirens were installed in 1959. And that night was the first uh, time that they had ever been blown. So a lot of people that heard those sirens, they actually thought we were being bombed. The nuclear bombs were going off. So that's why they went to shelter right away, as opposed to today. Mike mentioned that uh, earlier in the evening, when this all first started to take place, sirens were blowing, the civil defense sirens. Right. And a lot mm -hmm. of people wondered why, and uh, they hear this. Uh, they shouldn't have wondered why. <laughs> yeah, the first Wednesday of every month it blows on practice. But if you hear it any other time, that indicates there is an emergency, either weather or some other emergency. That's exactly and it. I take think heed. Uh, it works, though, to this extent, Charlie, that just because the sirens blow, at least people wonder what's going on and have a tendency to turn on their radio. This is very true. Exactly. The impetus of why I did the research for my books was 
it had been almost 50 years and there had been no books written about it. And I felt that we were losing a lot of history and that, that had to be recorded. Um, John Croft, I had the chance to talk to him early in 2000. And he was the Star Tribune photographer that covered the story. And he was coming back from Fridley across Highway 65 by Moore Lake. And he had run out of flashbulbs and he was going back into Minneapolis. And he told me he looked to the west and he saw a monster F5 tornado going through Fridley. So he stopped. The waves from Moore Lake were going over the highway and he took one of the most fantastic award-winning shots of a tornado ever without flashbulbs. And he said that he was amazed it turned out. He didn't think it would. And the reason why it did turn out was because there was so much lightning in the storm. It was as late as day. So the, t the picture turned out perfect. You can't understand what it feels like to be in a tornado unless you've been in a tornado. Well, there were so many reports coming into WCCO and one of the most haunting phone calls that came in, Robert Clark called in from Fridley uh, Junior High School. We'll try to get another one here. Uh, we'll try to get another report in if Charlie can get his fingers straightened out. It's tough to handle all the phones and the uh, two microphones at the same time. Uh, that last funnel that we just spoke of, actually inside of those two gentlemen. We've got a report right now, uh, passed through Fridley. Uh, uh, go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Uh, this is Robert Park in Fridley. The funnel touched down at the Fridley Junior High School and tore one the roof off the gymnasium and blew in the east side of the building, but no one was hurt. I just came from there, and none of the children assembled for the spring carnival were injured. All the children were laying down on the floor in the building, and no one was injured. Very good. Uh, I say very good in that no one was injured. Yes. Uh, you say, was the funnel actually visible? It was, I was in a car outside the gym. It blew all the windows out of one side of my car. It was approximately 60 feet over my head. Were you hurt, sir? No, I, w I was laying on the floor of the car, and all the glass blew across me. All right, very good. And uh, none of the kids were hurt in school? No one in the school was injured. About how many were there? I don't know. It must have been over 100. Gee, that's uh, good news that it went by then. So the carnival will be called off because the uh, the windows are out of the building and the power's off. There's <laughs> no power here in this uh, area of Fridley either. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. Obviously. You're welcome. Right on. And he had survived the first tornado to come through, and, and Robert Clark reported that there were no fatalities and, you know, everyone seemed to be okay. And it's unfortunate to report that the last uh, tornado, the one that John Croft shot with his camera, went through into Moundsview and killed Robert Clark as he was going home. I have some new information from our WCC Radio News Bureau, Charlie. The death toll has now risen to seven in the entire area, but we only have the identifications of three. And this is the only new identification that we've broadcast for the first time. 26-year-old Robert E. Clark of Anoka is added to the fatality list, along with 56-year-old Ray Perbix of Norwood and 79-year-old Alma Grindy of Duluth. You keep on mentioning first tornado, third. How many 
were actually recorded and thought to have happened that night? Well, there were six main tornadoes that came through the cities that night. And Joe Strube, he was the one of the main meteorologists at the Weather Bureau. Uh, he reported seeing three different waves of tornadoes come through the cities about uh, 7 o'clock, 7.30, and 8.30. And they stopped counting at 24 of the different touchdowns. There were more than 24 touchdowns that came came through. So that was very devastating, too, because most people think that once the first one goes through, there's no more tornadoes to come through. And being that there were three tornadoes, one right after the other, that's what killed a lot of people, too, because a lot of them lost their homes, so they came out, they had no shelter to take, and that's when most of the fatalities occurred, especially in Moundsview. What struck me is how people are calling in to report sightings, and that's how a lot of people are getting their information about where I should be taking cover, where is the tornado coming. We're one sighted right now, Dick. Hello? Yes, we, we see one now. It's out over the Fridley area, and it's dipping up and down. Where are you located? We're in Columbia Heights. You're in Columbia Heights? Yes, and, and it looks... Is it touching the ground? It's heading northeasterly. Is it touching the ground at it, all? It's not touching the ground, is it? It's pretty close. It's dipping up and down. Uh-huh. Yes. And it's going up now, and then it's coming down again, and it's, it's different colors, green and, and pink and silver. And... That's in the light of the lightning, of course. Yes. Uh, just where in Columbia Heights are you? We are on 46th and Johnson Street. We're oh, just a few blocks off of Central and 46th. Mm-hmm. And when you look towards it, are you looking uh, uh, exactly northeast or? Northwest. Northwest, I see. And it's heading northeast. Heading northeast. That yes. would put it uh, directly north of uh, the Twin Cities. Yes, and it's a real big one. It's right across Highway 65 north of you, then, yes. more or less. Okay, between perhaps Spring Lake Park and Circle Pines. Very good, uh, ma'am. If you'll hang on in our hold line, uh, we'll move to another call. Okay. Thank you for calling. Mm -hmm. We have some valiant people in CCO land who stand in their basements and look out their windows and tell us about the funnels forming over their heads. WCCO played a critical role. Uh, Dick Chapman... When I spoke to him before he died, um, he said, Al, there were hundreds of phone calls that came through. And there wasn't one crank phone call. They were all legit and they were authentic. And uh, Charlie Boone, when I spoke to him as well, he said that they went right after each other by saying, get to the basement, cover your head. If you see a tornado coming, get to shelter. So. They saved thousands of lives that night. From a windowless room that had phone connections and a radio. Yes, very much. And back then, like I say, they had uh, battery powered transistor radios. <laughs> so they were, everyone listened to it. They're, they were glued to it. When did you start compiling these stories for your book? I would say after John Croft, you know, my conversation with him in 2000. And uh, for the first uh, book, it took eight years. And then I wrote a second one because there was so much information that I came across after that that uh, it took another five years. 
Uh, there were a lot of misconceptions about the storms, and I interviewed hundreds of people, not only at the National Weather Service, but you know the the fire chief, uh, the mayor, the mayors of Fridley, Spring Lake Park, and Mountainview. Um, did a tremendous amount of research at the Fridley Historical Society. The combination of those sources was the impetus for the books. What are the stories that just really resonated with you and stayed with you as well, you were creating this? Like, a, you know, these storms were unprecedented. Uh, we've never seen storms like this. There's never been storms like this in the U.S. Uh, to have three different waves come through. And Joe Strube, you know, when I read some of his documents from the Weather Bureau, he said it looked like a battleship coming in on the radar. And they were scared. And um, they found, he reported as well, that they found debris as far away as Pennsylvania from these storms. So they were super cyclonic, um, the tops of these storms were over 70,000 feet. Um, we rarely see that. And the six tornadoes that came through were all F4s and F5s. They're again from the same swarm of tornadoes. It's, it's highly unusual. Um, I interviewed an individual from Spring Lake Park. His name was Don Watson, a wonderful man. He was... Uh, a baseball coach at Spring Lake Park High School. And they saw the first uh, tornado coming through and they were having a baseball game. So they ran into the school and there was a long glass hallway and they had the wainscoting, which came up about three feet, which was made of brick. And so they that was the only shelter they had. And right before the tornadoes hit, the windows were blowing in and out like plexiglass about a foot in either direction. And also, all the trash cans were lifted up and levitating and floating down the hallway seconds before the tornado hit. And he couldn't believe it, you know. And the glass exploded. The winds were unbelievable. And nobody was killed. And he was so grateful for that. I mean, so when you talk to these people, a lot of them cried. It was like a, they opened up a, a door to the past, immediate. And for Don, you know, he, you could see his eyes. I mean, they were so full of, he was afraid of them. We have a lady on the line from Fridley uh, whose husband said that, uh, what, what was that area that was uh, destroyed? Hello? Yes. Yeah, what area? Holly Center on University of Mississippi Street. That he, was... Uh, is, uh, the new fire station has gone out. Uh, the power lines are down across all the, super, uh, the supermarkets. A new cafe that just opened about a month ago is gone. Uh -huh. National store, the front went in. He was in it. He was in the store? Yeah. Your husband? Yeah, when it went, the whole, the front came down. All the cars were damaged that were in front of because all the superstructure came down. Uh-huh. You were, and everything over there is completely gone. That really was a, uh, got hit very hard. Oh, Mississippi Street, almost uh, from uh, Holly, almost to Highway 65. All the houses are either damaged or gone. Is that right? 
Well, we'll uh, we'll get more reports too on that area as they come in. Of course, we have reports on. There are these moments in life that just stick with you, and May sixth, the nineteen sixty five, was a defining moment for so many residents in Minnesota, and so many people that experienced it would never forget. Well, one of the worst hit areas was uh, Moundsville, over by Lois Drive, just uh, north of Highway 10. Charlie Boone and Rob Brown went out the next day, and they were walking through the neighborhood. And Charlie Boone, he came up to one house, and there were all these trenches that came up to where a house stood. And there was nothing in the basement. The cinder block foundation was, was gone. And he was talking to one of the civil defense people, and he said, what were these trenches coming up to this house? And uh, the person told him that the house had been taken and all the pipes leading up to the house, all the utility lines, everything. And that's what caused the trenches. So the tornado came through and literally tore these houses out, and there was nothing left. We know so much about weather, but there are so many things that just are unexplainable. Well, it defies the laws of nature. You know, there's one report of a house in uh, Spring Lake Park where, you know, they, on their table, they went to McDonald's, they were getting out, sitting down to eat, they heard the sirens, ran down the basement, they left the meal on the table. The house was gone, the family came back upstairs, and the McDonald's meal was still on the table. The table was there, the meal was there, everything else was gone. How can you explain that? Trying to rebuild from that, that so many families just had to start over. They really did, and virtually every survivor I spoke to they referred to the tornadoes as BT and AT, before tornado and after tornado. Because before the tornado, their lives were good, things were going okay, and then after the tornado, it totally changed their lives. Their lives were never the same. Charlie, an appeal has been issued for all available doctors listening to this broadcast to report to the Anoka Coon Rapids Hospital. All available doctors that may be listening, report now to the Anoka Coon Rapids Hospital. We'll try to... That's Mercy, Mercy Hospital. Hospital? Mercy Hospital, the Anoka Coon Rapids Mercy Hospital. All available doctors asked to report now. Uh, there was a lady I interviewed in Fridley. When we talked about the tornadoes, she broke down in tears, and she was making macaroni and cheese that night for supper. And they ran down the basement, their house was gone. They came back up, and from that day forward, she never made macaroni and cheese again. So I'm, it left a lot of scars, especially for the people that lost uh, loved ones. People don't realize that after these huge tornadoes and this wave of storms that goes through on May 6th, people have to wake up the next morning start trying to dig out and see what's left, and then the weather hit again. The following day, 
Um, there were more tornadoes in the metro area, torrential rain, torrential hail. So I've seen pictures of survivors picking through the debris, trying to salvage anything they could. But then the next day, it ruined whatever was left. So literally, these people, they had nothing. Absolutely nothing except the clothes on their backs. Howard is right here. We've got uh, word from the helicopter. Roger, are you there? Well, we're going to set down now. We see, uh, we see down there a lot of uh, a lot of uh, civil defense equipment, uh, trucks with lights flashing. Uh, we see uh, police cars. We see helicopters. We see people in the area trying to uh, uh, keep traffic moving and uh, keep uh, sightseers out. Of course, that is the uh, worst problem of all, but uh, evidently they're doing the job. We're going to stop down now and see if we can talk with some of these people. Uh, Roger Erickson, are you ready now for another report? Come in, Rod. Uh, I surely am, and I want to talk to some of these people real quickly, uh, uh, Howard, because they have been ordered to evacuate here in 20 minutes. For this uh, gentleman right here, uh, tell us your name, sir. Bob Cotman. Mr. Cotman. Uh, Bob, uh, were you in your uh, trailer home at the time? No, I took my family out, took them to Warsh House. Just got him in there, and I told some other people to better go over there, and we got him in there. I held the door open so there'd be some air in there, and we looked out, and we seen the whole trailer court just move. Everything left. Now, you've uh, looked at the damage here this morning. What does it look like to you? How would you describe it? Well, I don't think there's over 25 trailers in here that, that's even on their feet. And that's out of how many? How many are usually in here? 240. Isn't it? It is absolutely fantastic. And now we notice it is getting darker and darker out here. And Mr. Troutman, I don't want to take you away because uh, you people have suffered enough here. I don't want to keep you away from, uh, they, they have evidently have ordered you to, uh, you people all to get out of the area now. Yeah, we're supposed Roger. to be out in 20 minutes. And of course, the reason for that is even a high wind would send some of this debris flying and it could be very, very dangerous. Uh, I think a 50 mile an hour wind would be dangerous in this area. Right Definitely. Now. Hey, Roger. Good, Bob. Thank you very much. But it should be noted, you know, there again, that so many people came to the rescue for these people. And that's where the goodness of humankind comes through. And, um, you know, a lot of churches opened up their doors. There were a lot of homeless shelters being opened. The National Guard came through. They provided shelter and food and, you know, the Red Cross and all these organizations, Salvation Army. So it didn't stop the night of May 6th left such a lasting mark on the city of Fridley. As you drive through it today, do you recognize pieces of evidence from the tornado that are, still exist today? Well, you can definitely go through the city of Fridley and Spring Lake Park and Moundsview and, you know, the old timers, they'll drive through with you and they'll say, well, you have the old style one and a half story houses that were gone because of the tornado, and now you have the new style of ramblers that came through. And sure enough, you can go through and you can see the damage path, especially if you go between University Avenue and Highway 65 in Mississippi. And it's about a mile wide, and that's about how wide some of these tornadoes were. And uh, Commons Park in Fridley, um, they dumped a lot of debris and they buried it there. And now kids will slide down the hill in the wintertime. And, you know, it's it's a reminder, though, for the people that survived, you know, the tornadoes. 
When you hear the tornado sirens now, what are the first things that go through your mind? I get goosebumps. Um, I think about all the memories I have of tornadoes. I've seen a lot of tornadoes in my life. No matter how much we study it, there will always be questions. But there's the dark side of tornadoes where, you know, when you hear the sirens, you, you don't want people to be injured. You don't want people to die. You don't want them to lose everything they have. It was an unbelievable storm. I mean, I could write 10 more books about it. I mean, it's really amazing. If people want to learn more about the Fridley Tornado. I, I would like to make a, a plug for the Fridley Historical Society. Um, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have been able to write the books. Where um, is the Fridley Historical Society located? 611 Mississippi Street Northwest. We have a wonderful tornado exhibit from 1965. And in that exhibit... We have the Hayes Elementary School clock, which uh, stopped at 7.09, and that's the time the tornado, the first one, that hit Fridley came through. And something really special that you did for the 50th anniversary of the tornado itself. Well, it was a, a huge event at uh, Fridley High School, and uh, there were many speakers, many survivors from that night, and... Uh, it was recorded on a DVD that we sell through the History Center. Yeah, we'll have links from for all of that on our show notes page. Was there anything else you wanted to share about your research with the tornadoes? Every tornado has strange anomalies. They always leave their fingerprints. And, you know, I, I can't stress enough, you know, we're approaching that time of year in Minnesota where... Tornadoes are, are going to come. You know, it's not if, it's when and where. So, you know, I really hope that people take the warnings, you know, seriously. Use the technology in your favor. Get to the lowest level you can. Protect yourself and your family. Thank you so much for coming in and talking about all of this today, Al. I really appreciate it. And uh, hoping that people will remember it a little bit more as we keep telling the story. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, it's an honor to be here. And it's an honor to be a part of the family of people who love history. And being an ambassador for all of the people who shared their experiences with you that you put in your books. It was a very humbling experience. Ten minutes after 12, Central Standard Time, and here's Frank Hobbs. I say good morning. And Richard and Dick, and I know that you are thanking those people most sincerely for keeping us all well informed. It's now 11 past midnight, and let's try some of the tender sounds right here. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. 
Hello, my name is Diana Nurberg. I'm a librarian for Anoka County Library. I'm offering up some exciting books, videos, and more for all ages about this episode's topic, all available at your library. Let's get started. First, we start with the books published by this episode's guest, The Night the Sirens Blew and Hidden Revealed by Alan W. Taylor. These books provide first-hand eyewitness accounts, photos of the wreckage, as well as useful and interesting additional info and resources to explore. Next, we have Suburbia's Longest Night, a word and picture presentation of the tornadoes of May 6, 1965 by Tri-County Publications. In this reference collection book, users can experience the story of the 1965 tornadoes via photos from the time. First published in 1965, this book takes on a unique of-the-moment quality, while other books look at the events from a more historical perspective. Next, we have So Terrible a Storm, A Tale of Fury on Lake Superior by Kurt Brown. The Star Tribune's Minnesota history columnist tells the story of the tragedy that led to the building of the Split Rock Lighthouse. Corporate greed turns out to be no match for the fury of this late November storm in 1905. Finally, we have a children's book called How to Survive a Tornado by Marnie Ventura. We know that tornadoes can be a dangerous phenomenon. Help your child feel empowered and prepared with a survival guide. Chapters are devoted to learning about the risks, making a good plan in case you end up in a tornado's path, and creating a kit of survival supplies. We hope you enjoy these resources. Until next time, happy learning. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. I was really impressed by the research that you did for this episode with getting the weather and looking at some newspaper articles, but also finding the WCCO components. And I'd love to know where that all happened in your brain. Well, part of it was Al. I was looking through his books and in his list of resources, he mentioned this radio tapes website and they have hours and hours of what people were listening to the night of the tornado. It's an archive. Um, so the night of and the day after. And so I reached out to WCCO after listening to some of those, and they gave us permission to use some of the um, clips in our episode today. And so shout out to WCCO. Thank you so much for that. And I understand that they won a lot of awards for their coverage as well, right? The reporters that night received basically every award in journalism for the work that they put in that night, gathering information and presenting it to people and saving a lot of lives. We have uh, links to those radio tapes on our show notes page. So if you're interested in listening to more of the coverage, definitely go take a listen. And as always, if you have more stories and more memories, we are more than happy to have those recorded and sent in, write those down. Better yet, send them off to the Fridley Historical Society, and they can live in their repository with the other memories from that evening. It's so nice to have partner historical societies where we can focus our attention on different things that we know we've got the county covered. More marching orders, people. Start up more historical societies. The more the merrier. Bring them on. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, and uh, we'll see you next time. If you have a question 
Want to visit our show notes page for each episode or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, the Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.